Hello and welcome back to There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. I'm your host TK, a teacher and pop culture enthusiast. In this episode, hey, we're communicating. I'm joined by return guest and media writer Danny to discuss the big ideas of Hawkeye Episode 3, Echoes. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can follow me for updates and behind-the-scenes extras at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support the show by purchasing There Was an Idea merchandise from Spring. Link is in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Today, I am excited to welcome return guest, listener-turned-contributor Danny back to the podcast. Danny is a media writer who first joined me to discuss an episode of Loki back in July, and he is here today to dig into Hawkeye Episode 3, Echoes. Welcome back, Danny. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. I'm happy to be back for any Marvel project, really, but especially like a Christmas show like this. <laughs> Their first Christmas show, I guess. Tis the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> been very exciting. And just this morning, I was thinking about how I want to do an, a, a rewatch of Iron Man 3 this season as well. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Set in the time, at least. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, last time you were here on the show, you were telling us a little bit about your work with Comic Book Resource and some of the other projects that you work on. So just curious, any fun pieces that you've worked on recently that you want to share with us? Um, yeah, I guess I've been kind of writing here and there, just again, busy with, I guess, my full-time job working in media advertising. So similar field there, but I'm hoping to write about things like Hawkeye or kind of delve into the comics a little bit, especially with how comics inspired this show is, but, um, kind of more so I've been writing here and there, nothing specific, I guess, that comes to mind to share, but yeah, I still enjoyed writing those articles. Yeah, and I'll definitely uh, put a link in the show notes to to some of your work over there as well. But last time we spoke on the podcast about the MCU, it was to discuss Loki. It was episode five. And since then, that series has wrapped. Uh, the show What If has aired. And we're now, if you could believe it, halfway through the episodes of Hawkeye, which I'm already very sad about um, <laughs> because mm-hmm. I've made no oh, secret yeah. <laughs> of how much I'm loving the show. But I'm curious to hear more of your thoughts on the Disney Plus corner of the MCU so far and to ask what makes a successful MCU series for you? Sure. Yeah, we'll just talk about, I mean, I I really have enjoyed them all. I kind of do feel a little similar to you about what if just because, um, you know, I really did. I love the idea of it. I love the things they got to explore, the fact that they kind of use things that we knew in the past, but kind of like turn them on their heads. Um, I did enjoy that aspect, but I guess um, with each episode, for the most part, being a one-off, it was kind of hard to to relate or hard to kind of get in, mm-hmm. invested in the stories as much. And as a personal thing, I feel like it's always easier for me to kind of get more invested or relate more to shows and characters in live action versus animation. So, yeah. so I think that's why that one didn't stand out as much to me um, per se, but I still did really enjoy it. In terms of like what makes an MCU series successful, um, I do feel like I enjoy, I guess my favorite series, Marvel series in general being Daredevil. I do Mm. really like when they're kind of more grounded, more like in some senses, even relatable in that way. Um, More realistic stakes kind of down to earth like that which not to say there's anything against the ones that aren't. I think WandaVision is a great example because that one was, you know, she took control of a whole town, but you still felt for grief and they still tugged at these 
these um, universal kind of emotions and things we go through in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, also similar to you, I'm just a huge, huge super fan of Marvel and superheroes in general. So I really do enjoy kind of anything they put out. I, I definitely liked some more than others. I think WandaVision is still my favorite at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really did enjoy Falcon and the Winter Soldier kind of for some of the reasons that I was talking about. I mean, relatability to the characters, but also um, just kind of the more street level grounded aspect we got. And I guess touching on that, I guess my biggest thing would be sort of relatability, which can be the same with the series, the the movies, um, but really having those characters and situations and kind of like sort of even what they're going through and emotions that I can relate to is a big thing. The other funny, um, interesting distinction, I think, for the Marvel series so far has been you know, which ones feel more like shows and then which ones feel more like long movies. Um, I think for me, I think like Falcon and Loki kind of felt more like sort of more like longer movies and how they like led into one another like that. I could easily see them being like six hour movies. Yes, I feel like WandaVision, especially because of the sitcom focus, felt more like a show. And of course, what if having different episodes, they did kind of capture that feeling a little bit more, you know, feeling like a show versus a movie. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, we're going to talk about Hawkeye episode three today. And I've already sort of shared on social media that this has been one of my top, you know, probably two or three of any of the episodes, any of the single episodes of an MCU Disney plus series so far. And when I said that, I was thinking through my head, like, okay, well, what are the other ones that are in the conversation? And it's so easy, to your point, to identify individual episodes of WandaVision that stand out. And even What If, which, mm-hmm. like you, was not my favorite, but there are individual episodes that stick out. Whereas thinking about Falcon and Loki, it's hard to distinguish. You know, now I haven't rewatched them in a while, so it's hard to distinguish one episode from another, right? They they are stories that I really enjoyed, but they do feel like one episode kind of led right into the next. Um, with a couple of exceptions, I think Falcon episode five, the one with the training montage, the one with um, Isaiah Bradley, yes. that one really stood out. Um, but with Loki, it's interesting. I was thinking about it and I was like, do I have a favorite episode of Loki. And I think if I had to choose, it would be the one that I actually you and I discussed, which was episode five with the different variants. But but it was tricky because it feels like so much of one story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's an interesting kind of pattern, too, that I found, at least personally, that like of how hard some of the um, or kind of how well some of the second to last episodes have really resonated. Like you mentioned, episode five yeah. of Falcon and episode five of Loki, even Episode eight of WandaVision um, Definitely. was just, you know, really tugged at your heartstrings a lot. So I think they've done a good job in terms of like the second to last episode. I get the endings. They kind of like take a stance or not take a stance so much as certain things. But I, I would say the same for Loki, especially that that the episode we talked about kind of gave us a, a bit of everything with the humor and the um, seriousness and the weight of the themes they were talking about. So I did, I think that would probably be my favorite as well. Yeah, that's a great point and a really interesting observation about that second to last episode because the WandaVision episode eight is is my top favorite, I think, if I if I had to pick one. Although there's a couple episodes of WandaVision that that are in the conversation for me. But we're here today talking about Hawkeye. We'll have to see what the second to last episode brings. And I'm also very curious to see what the last episode of Hawkeye is going to bring, if they're going to really stick the landing in a way that the final episodes of the other shows 
didn't necessarily as much. But thinking about Hawkeye, I'm curious to hear more about your feelings on Clint's character before this show premiered. Yeah, um, well, I have always, I, I know, you know, he's he's not been the central character before. He's not had his own movie. So um, I guess what we get of him is kind of like piecemeal, having to kind of put it together like a little puzzle, mm-hmm. um, seeing where he is and what he's like and kind of learning more about him through other characters or through situations that just affect everyone. So I have always enjoyed him. I mean, he he hasn't really been, I guess more recently, this has kind of changed, but he hasn't really been as much like a standout character. Even kind of earlier on revisiting like the other projects, it's like, you know, he was great in, I guess, Captain America Civil War, for example, but so short of an appearance that you don't really get to like know much more about him in that way. So that's something that I was really excited for going into this show, kind of getting more of like that closer look at him and more of like a character study into him and the toll of everything he's been through. So thinking about the first three episodes of the show, have they lived up to the expectations that you had of this series? Yes. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, I mean, I know I was, again, like I mentioned, I was extremely excited going in for the fact that this was a Christmas show and the first MCU Christmas show in that way. So I love any kind of like excuse they'll use to kind of show the background or show the snow and the Christmas songs and everything like that. So of course, in that avenue, definitely hasn't disappointed. Um, and then even even with with Clint and Kate, kind of their dynamic has only, I feel like, gotten better and better as we went on. Of course, they didn't really see each other the first episode, but but since they have kind of gone together, I think that's been a big part of what makes the show what it is, and oh. makes it as enjoyable as it is. I totally agree. They they've both been dynamic on their own, and then just the scenes in which they're playing off of each other. It, they're they're so good together. And I, obviously I, I knew the show was going to center on both of them and their relationship was going to need to be something that was central to it because I, I had read the Fraction comic. So I knew that that relationship was central to the story, but I, I didn't expect that Renner and Haley Steinfeld would play off of each other so well. And it's really just been so fun to watch. Mm-hmm, definitely. Like, I guess to what you're, to your point, I feel like, you know, not having seen much of Hawkeye in the past and now getting to see him now in this way, it really makes me wonder what if he got, I guess, more of a prominent role in some of the other movies or a solo project sooner or something to kind of like have that background going into the the team up movies. But I think it is either way, it's really nice to see him, his character and it's like, I guess, full potential in that sense. Yeah, definitely. And thinking about episode three, I was tempted to call it Hawkeye episode three echoes, also known as do I love Clint Barton now? (laughs) Because for me, this was, you know, I had such such more of an open mind about Clint going into the Hawkeye series. I talked about this in my preview episode that through a lot of conversations with my guests on the podcast, I've softened on his character a lot because he he hadn't been a favorite. He hadn't been a favorite for me in, in the past. And then reading the comics and talking with people, I was I was excited. I was very excited for the show. And I really enjoyed his character in the first two episodes. But in this one, episode three, I'll say more about it later. But this was the episode that I really felt for the first time, like very connected to his character. And like, I very much understood him. What did you think yeah. in general terms about about episode three? Well, um, 
you know, I really do like when they have those strong starts with the seasons where every episode does kind of build on the last in a meaningful way and is kind of better than the last. I definitely felt that way about mm. this episode, um, getting to explore different things. Um, well, just everything we learn about Echo, that really, really strong start that I'm sure we'll get into a bit later. But yeah, just just they're kind of like humanizing her in that very short time and making you really feel for her. Um and then, like you were saying, more of kind of Kane Clint's dynamic, um, <laughs> all the hilarious things that came with him not really being able to hear, yes, <laughs> was great too. Um, all the trick arrows, love those. But, but yeah, just kind of seeing Kane him a bit more, seeing him actually talk about not being the role model or not feeling like he's the role model, which again, I'm sure we'll get into more later too. But just seeing him and Kate interact and kind of seeing how she's like a mirror to him in certain ways and in the sense of like being young and inexperienced and idealistic where he's kind of like lived a life of being a superhero for a while and kind of lost a lot along the way. So seeing the toll that that all of that takes on him really. Yeah. There's a lot to dig into in this episode for each of those characters and especially for their relationship to each other. And then with the introduction of Maya or Echo as well, which opens up a lot of questions and was really so cool. And uh, yes, we will definitely dig into that more later. But as you know, here on There Was an Idea, if any listeners are new for the Hawkeye series, one of the things that we do here on There Was an Idea is specifically name and discuss some big ideas that speak to emerging themes or characterization or symbols or larger concepts that are coming up within each episode of the show and then connecting them across the episodes and even across the shows and across the phases of the MCU. So on the previous episodes for Hawkeye, I talked a little bit about some of the ideas that seems to be emerging, like Clint's relationship to the legacy of Hawkeye, for example, and the legacy of Ronan and his PTSD and this idea of inspiration, as as Kate mentions in episode two, when he when, when she tells Clint, you're selling inspiration and really looking out for this question, you know, what do these two Hawkeyes have in common? What does it mean to be Hawkeye? So I have had my my eyes on those questions over the course of the three episodes. There's a couple of other ideas that stood out to me in episode three that I want to geek out a little bit about too. But Danny, what were some of the ideas that stood out to you? Are, are you seeing any commentary that the show is making on these on this idea of what it means to be Hawkeye or, or what it's saying about inspiration here? Yeah, um, well, I guess in, in a sense, what it means to be Hawkeye is very closely tied to just to just kind of the differences between him and a lot of the other Avengers that, yeah. I mean, I guess sort of similar to Black Widow, that she has a much more complicated history in that sense, as far as we know, but that he is just a regular person. He's just a regular person who, you know, um, always chooses to do the right thing when it, when he becomes Ronan, it gets a little, <laughs> a little more gray in that sense, but um he still does always try to do good um, despite his limitations, despite what really he has to endure, injuries he endures, like the hearing that they kind of go into in the series. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, what it means to be Hawkeye is a lot to do with just doing the right thing and being a hero in that sense. And then I think like you were kind of mentioning that humility that comes with that, if, if that's um, one way to frame it where he doesn't really see himself as a role model or see himself as this inspiration that Kate sees him as. 
And it's interesting for me to think if that's, uh, again, he's he's been more of like a low-key hero, I think even before taking up the mantle of Ronin. So maybe this is just how he always felt. Um, but I also wonder if it's kind of, especially with everything that happened as Ronin and everything that he's kind of like, you know, the whole sense of being ashamed of his past and ashamed of all the things that he's done, all the, you know, more terrible things that he's done in that sense. So if that kind of like, if that kind of leads into him not feeling like he's a role model because of all the mistakes he's made, even compared to all the good things he's done, all these people he mm-hmm. saved, how he's helped, you know, his family and Wanda and and now Kate and everyone kind of like along those lines. Yeah, and I think that in thinking about Hawkeye and how he is dealing with the public perception of Hawkeye and and the public perception of Ronan, even though people don't know him to be Ronan yet, right? Like he is living with this, right? There's this living legacy as evidenced by Rogers the musical where he's in this unique position where he's seeing a story about his life events that he has participated in heroism that he has has done being told back to him in this bizarre, uncanny way. But then I think there's also this idea, and and you got a little bit of a hint of this in the diner scene, which I want to talk a little bit more about later, but he, I think, is thinking about the legacy of what comes after him too, right? If he does throw in the towel, so to speak, or hang up the bow, uh, as it may be, who is going to kind of follow in his footsteps? And he's saying, I'm not a role model, but we also know that he is. So that brings me to an idea that kind of emerged for me out of this episode that is a little bit unique to my own experiences and something that I kind of want to just muse on and, and hear your thoughts on as well, Danny, which is this idea of teaching and learning. And of course, this is something that I spend a lot of my time at my day job thinking about, right? Approaches to teaching how to effectively teach lessons and, um, and approaches to learning, right? How do we learn as human beings? How do kids learn? How do teenagers learn, you know, developmentally, wherever you're at? Um, it, what are the best contexts in which to learn? And and how do you how do you teach? How do you how do you uh, handle the fact that students might see you as a role model, right? When you're in that position, so these are all questions that, as I say, relate to my day job. But they're also things that I really saw reflected in this episode, and. I see it reflected in the relationship between Kate and Clint, but that immediately stuck out to me. But then rewatching the episode a second time, I saw it so much in the very opening scene with Maya. And she's mm-hmm. sitting there in a school setting and she's watching and we're seeing her try to make sense of what her teacher is saying by lip reading. And we see this from her from her perspective and the the subtitles we see on the screen are only those which this character would be making out in that moment um, from from the, the lip reading. And we're watching her as she learns through strategizing, through adjusting. And her dad is teaching her in that conversation that they have as well. We, we see her as a learner, right? She's asking questions to her dad. What if dragons learned to come into our world? And he says that would make them stronger. And the dragon is very much a metaphor for her, right? Um, You have to Mm -hmm. learn to jump between two worlds. And he says, just by watching. So this idea of learning through watching, which is something that I know in the comics 
Echo has a particular um, heightened power to do, right? It's it's kind of, it's presented as as her superpower in a way. But here also, it's being presented in very much just kind of like this real world strategy for how you learn. And her dad is telling her, you know, we're not going to be able to send you to this deaf school where, where you'll be surrounded by students like you. And, you know, the subtext where you will have all of these supports in place that are that are specifically considering the needs that you have as a deaf student, right? But he's telling you it's going to make it's going to make you stronger. It'll be better for you. We see her watching the kids in karate, right? Learning through watching. And as a teacher, I think all the time about how, you know, we have worked to improve the public school system in such a way that all kids are getting the support that they need and that they don't have to make these accommodations, make these adjustments to their own learning on their own, that we support them to do it. But it was just so cool to me to watch these scenes with Maya and to see her doing that. No, I definitely agree. I think it's, I think it was much more powerful in that sense to not present it as some superpower, you know, as something she was just born with and it came easy to her. Um, Instead, showing it as something that she overcame, you know, it shows her resourcefulness, her resilience and tenacity to kind of of course, she had her dad who was extremely supportive um, as much as he could be financially, of course, but but yeah. to see her kind of take what she was given and then take it like three or four steps further, um, just kind of in, in terms of combat, in terms of actually physically, you know, learning at school and really just kind of overcoming these obstacles that she kind of was born with. So I think that would kind of, as we see so far in this episode, that kind of sets the tone for just how she approaches life and how she kind of grows and and evolves from there kind of with that mindset of resilience. Yeah. And she's such a fascinating character already. And, you know, the first time I watched this episode, I was surprised when it opened up on her and specifically when it opened up on her in flashback as a little girl, I was like, oh, okay, we're doing the flashback Mm -hmm. thing again. And I was kind of like, oh, but what about Kate and Clint though? We We were left off on this cliffhanger so you know when the episode first starts that's immediately my thought and then a couple minutes go by and I'm so immersed in what's going on on the screen between Maya and her dad and you know watching her learn that I totally forgot about Clint and Kate for a second and and this happened both times I watched it when I rewatched it as well I was just so immersed in her story Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I think helps with that that they have the subtitles now you're so you know it's someone you don't know about and someone that you're kind of introduced to more here. I know, again, we're going to learn plenty more about this and believe she's getting her own Disney Plus series. But but yeah, and then to kind of be taken out of that moment again, reminded of of um, Clint and Kate or Clint more specifically when you see Ronan mm-hmm. um, and kind of what he does, you know, the whole effect that has on her and the whole like, you start to really feel for her in that moment, feel for her as she kind of like, you saw her bond with with her father years earlier and now you see her kind of comforting him in his last moments. I think that's really, really strong. And it it kind of brings up this conflict that you can relate to both people involved. Of course, Clint, as we've known him and gotten to know him more, um, but even, even Maya and Echo and kind of what she's yeah. gone through. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they did a really, really good job of making us feel that connection to her in just those few short minutes at the beginning of this episode. It was really, really effective and masterful in how they were able to present that so that we felt that connection to her. We learned so much about her. And as you said, her approach to the world, her motivation, her relationship with her father, 
that we do feel for her. The only thing I guess is um, part of me kind of wishes that we didn't already know that there was going to be an Echo show because it would just be kind of so cool to, to, you know, get excited about this character and then find out later that she was going to have her own show. Might have made just kind of like, you know, I don't know. It, it's a silly complaint to have, um, but <laughs> but I'm no, excited that valid. we're going to see more I, of her. I think especially, even if they just, you know, release that information after today's, after yesterday's yeah. episode came out, I think that would be really strong because again, people yeah. probably saw that name and they're like, you know, casual fans at least recognize people like She-Hulk, maybe Moon Knight, but Echo especially is more it's one of the extremely, I guess, lesser known people that they're kind of like pursuing yeah. as, in terms of like casual fans at least. So yeah, kind of an interesting dis- de- decision to announce it ahead of time. I guess they wanted to announce mm-hmm. it with the Disney plus day, but what can you do? And I'm sure we'll get to more aspects of the scene in this moment, but what I thought of too, in a practical sense of when you mentioned, you know, kind of teaching and, mm-hmm. and the school system with with her and her growing up that we've talked about, I think it was even an interesting parallel to bring up between kind of her and Clint when they first start interacting. And yes. of course, you know, he's hard of hearing. He's not deaf, like he says, um, and it's not something he was born with. It's something that happened over time and that funny little montage of showing what he's been through yes <laughs> and all it takes to be a regular human in in this universe but um but yeah i think it was even just that comparison of her learning sign language her kind of doing so well off site um he definitely did a pretty good job driving without being able to hear but oh yeah still an interesting parallel with how he relied on his hearing aid but she didn't even need one at this point she did asl and she also just on site alone, she was able to kind of get by and she was driving a car too, (laughs) just fine. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting, you know, when she comes out to, uh, to interrogate Kate and Clint that, you know, she clocks his earpiece right away and unties his hands or unbinds his hands. I think, I don't know if it was duct tape or something like that, you know, so that he can speak ASL with her and he doesn't <laughs> he he can't mm-hmm. you know he can a little bit and you can tell that she's kind of disappointed and so she has Kazi tape his hands back up um but i, I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting almost as if she was seeing a potential common ground between them and then clearly crushing his his hearing aid there is uh relates to the statement that she's making about hey you know you don't need to rely on this technology right um kind yeah. of how she's been taught right. by his fa- by her father of like hey it kind of makes you stronger to learn to exist in in different worlds mm-hmm. no i definitely agree and I, I think yeah common ground was actually funny enough the the exact words i was going to use where she was probably would have even been i guess more accommodating him or yeah. friendlier to him if she kind of had that with him and then it's like you said a statement um just against his life so and she I like how she goes right for it too she yeah. you know she with how skilled of a fighter that we see her um you know that that was completely intentional and completely meant to kind of um I guess dismantle his ability to fight or his ability to kind of like operate while she's kind of after him so I think that was really interesting to see her go for that right away <laughs> yes yes definitely and I think that connects to another big idea or, or theme that was really prevalent in this episode, which I there's a couple more things I want to circle back to on the topic of, of teaching and learning as it relates to Kate and Clint and their relationship. But thinking about what we've been talking about with Echo and with Clint, this idea of communication, and Kate even has a couple of lines here in the episode in which she talks about communicating. 
And uh, the the funny moment when she is talking with the tracksuit guy about the Imagine Dragons tickets, and, and mm-hmm. she's saying to Clint, like, hey, you know, we're establishing trust through through communicating, through listening to each other, um, which is interesting. It certainly seems like there was a lot in here related to communication, related to translating, related to um, how we experience the world, how we hear things in the world, and, and the way that the sound would fade out and become muffled when Clint doesn't have his hearing aid in or the signs with Maya where we're kind of watching through her perspective and we're not hearing what the teacher is saying at all versus with, with Clint where you can kind of hear some some of the sounds in the background. And there are scenes where we miss things. We miss parts of the dialogue because of the strategies that the directors are using in this episode. I thought that was just a, a very mm-hmm. cool way of, um, of, of, as I said, kind of marrying the, what this story is with how the story was being told. Yeah, and I think um, I think that's a a good way to even immerse viewers even more in the story, kind of like making them rely on spotting subtitles, and even when they don't, when there are no subtitles, trying to figure out what's going on and fill in the kind of the void in that sense. I think um, communication is a larger idea; it's very prevalent in a lot of ways. You see Echo do it, and with her father, um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's very strong. And then it's it's a nice kind of comparison and lead into. well, yes, on one hand, how you see Kate talking to the the um, tracksuit mafia person about the, the Imagine Dragons concerts, which also goes to show, um, you know, how sincere she is, how kind of, yeah, <laughs> I guess, you know, um, idealistic that she is, that she kind of wants to show compassion to this person who literally, like, kidnapped her. <laughs> or, well, she kind of jumped in, you know what I yeah. mean? But, <laughs> but yeah, and I think seeing the um, the comparison between Echo and her father and then later on, what Clint and Kate start to develop as, of course, when he can hear. And yes, it is used for humor a lot when they when he repeats things and it is hilarious. But on a serious note, I think it's great just kind of seeing them actually on the same page after a little while of kind of yes. working together and communicating without communicating in that sense. Yeah, yes. It was so, so cool to watch. And it just reminds me of, you know, again, in my... um my work as a teacher and these moments where you just get into a flow with someone you're working with, especially, you know, thinking about the student teacher relationship when, when you get each other and you're communicating in a, in a really special way, it's the coolest thing in the world. And, um, and you definitely see that with Kate and Clint here. One, uh, one more thing that I had another note that I had on this topic of communication and translation and things kind of getting lost in translation, something that I caught on, my second watch was when Echo is asking Clint about Ronan and he says that Ronan is dead and she's asking, you know, who killed him or whatever. He mouths Natasha Romanoff. Like you can lip read it that he says Natasha Romanoff, but then Kazi translates it to Black Widow. And I just thought that that was kind of a, a clever thing, right? Where Clint says Natasha, but of course Kazi says Black Widow. It just kind of speaks to how each of those characters would be perceiving that person who we know to be both Natasha and Black Widow. I thought that was pretty cool. No, that is really interesting. I honestly didn't didn't catch that. Um, and I think that's a cool detail to kind of show how they are perceived, show how well-known they are and how they are regarded in their yeah. past. Because I guess, you know, that's not something, especially for for Black Widow. It's something that I've enjoyed seeing more and more in this show with with seeing Clint kind of go for the catch and release that she did in Avengers 1 and... Mm-hmm. Um, 
just kind of the talking about her, the seeing her in the play. Um, I like how they kind of bring back their relationship and just like how he is feeling her loss. But I feel like before this point, of course, with, you know, in Endgame, how they kind of didn't really give her a, a proper send off in that sense. They kind of just had the, the funeral for Tony. So you, you don't, it's, it's nice to see how they're perceived and how they're thought of because for her specifically, we didn't get a whole lot of that up until this point. Yeah, definitely. And I, I liked this mention of her as well because, you know, thinking, okay, he's being asked who killed Ronan and he's saying that it was Natasha and that is clever because it's a great, it's a great cover up, right? Because as Echo mm-hmm. says, okay, that's, you know, that's convenient, right? The person who killed this dead person is also dead. So it's not like you can corroborate that. But also, if you think about it, it really was Natasha who killed Ronan, right? Like it was Natasha who got through to Clint and that's when he decided to give up being Ronan and come back to the Avengers. So it's just another one of those kind of small moments that I appreciate that they are are bringing in that connection to her, um, as you said. Yeah, no, I I really do. um, I like that kind of, call back to it specifically for her in that sense because I mean if you think about it it was losing his his actual blood family that um really kind of pushed him over the edge and pushed him towards being Ronan but then it was kind of reuniting with Natasha his I'd say is well of course as they say his best friend but almost like in a sense his found family yeah um so family kind of put him in that dark place, but family also took him out of it at the end of the day, which oh, yeah. among other things goes to show how important and central family is, especially as we see in this show and him kind of like living through them or focusing on them among, uh, above all else. Yeah, that, I, that's a really nice way of putting it. I like that a lot. And it, it is interesting that they always say best friend with Clint and Natasha. Best friend is a term that like the type of term that it doesn't feel quite good enough for who they are to each other. It it seems like, you know, you have a best friend in school or you have a best friend growing up. And certainly some people have a best friend for life, right? But you're talking about two people who live, like worked together, were in the trenches together, like were willing to sacrifice themselves for each other. Like that is so far beyond best friend. I think found family is Mm -hmm. is the best way to describe it. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess to what extent that he's been dealing with the trauma, it's interesting to think about maybe he just hasn't really talked about that with his sure. with his family as much. I mean, I'm sure his wife with how close they seem or how close they, they're presented to us in the show, but maybe not his kids as much or maybe the more difficult parts of it he doesn't really expand on. Though I know she was a part of their life growing up yeah. in some way. So Yeah, that's true. Age of Ultron works to establish that closeness that to the point that they're gonna name the baby after her or, you know, even though it's he's Nathaniel and not Natasha, it, it's still still pretty close. But actually I think that's a good transition to talk a little bit about my favorite Clint scene ever. Um and a little bit more about Clint in the episode. I do want to circle back to talking about Kate and Clint's relationship and, and the teacher-student relationship that I see there, or, or I suppose less so teacher-student relationship and more just more of the ideas that I think are coming out of, um, out of this episode related to how we teach and how we learn. But before we get into that, I do think it's worthwhile to talk a little bit more about Clint himself and Clint in this episode. I loved seeing him in action in this episode when they were at the KB toy store, the abandoned KB toy store, which was so funny. Um, It was so cool to see him using the bow 
and seeing the arrows fly and the arrow that cuts Kate's duct tape and his like, you know, shoot the arrow behind the back move. It was so cool to see him in action to see how capable he is. As you were saying, he's this excellent driver. He's hot wiring the car. He knows which arrows to use when and and he's telling Kate like, oh, use this one, you know, use the acid arrows to shoot out the the stoplights. What did you what did you think of, of Clinton action in this episode? Yeah, you know, I really did enjoy that. I think I think it's um, especially good because a lot of what the show tells us so far, I mean, even moments before is that, oh, he's too reliant on technology or he's kind of been at this for a while. He suffered um, physical loss and he just suffered physically in his body as a result of all that he's went through. So the show kind of, it did show you some moments of him being able to fight, but it it kind of made you think that maybe he couldn't do that anymore. Maybe he couldn't shoot the bow like he used mm-hmm. to, or maybe he couldn't do all these crazy flips or, you know, just, just fight as well as he did in that scene. So I really like to see that, you know, yes, he's quote unquote older in this point after all he's been through. And yes, he has been through and endured a lot, but he still has it. And I think that that was cool to see from just the the sense of just getting some really awesome Marvel action, but also the the sense of his character, even after all he's been through. And even though his attitude is more along the lines of kind of, giving up or throwing in the rope sometimes that he still has it. (laughs) Oh yeah. This episode like single-handedly did enough to convince me in ways that the previous films hadn't that like this dude absolutely like has a a place next to the rest of these Avengers, right? He and Natasha being the ones who aren't super powered, you know, in a super soldier serum type of way or a gamma radiation type way, or even a has a ton of money and is able to have this awesome tech suit kind of way right um but man he he can fight and and he has the will and he has the determination even though he has been grumpy and he's it it seems like he's not sure if he's going to continue this for how much longer right he is there he is in the fight and um it was just it was just so cool to see and in addition to the action scenes with clint this episode so i i connected with him more on that level than I ever have before and just watching him in action and thinking that he looked awesome and that he looked really cool. On top of that, I connected with him emotionally more than I ever have before because of that phone call in the kitchen scene. Yes. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. I think that, yes, they show you, the, of course, the Avengers Endgame scene is heart-wrenching. Of course, like every moment you see with his family, you start to learn how much they mean to him. But but kind of seeing him talk to Nathaniel like that, again, that that method of storytelling where you're not you're not even fully hearing what Nathaniel's yeah. saying. You're kind of like you're reading along the subtitles. You're kind of in Clint's place where you wish you can hear it louder. You know, you wish it was easier to hear, but you you really can. And I think two things, of course, one, it just goes to show how sort of much of a bond that Kate and Clint are kind of forming, how much of they are kind of warming up to each other, I guess, with their good communication um, in the action scenes, but also here when, you know, I mean, he's definitely mentioned, talked about his family. So I think she she sees that and she helped him with that. Um, and again, just to reinforce that emotional tug of the emotional stakes of getting home for Christmas and everything. Yeah. And just, I think the, like you, like you were saying, the most emotional scene where I've connected to Hawkeye the most was seeing him kind of, talking to his kid as best as he could, but not fully being able to hear him. I think that was extremely emotional and extremely gripping in that moment. 
it really was. It was so well done. I mean, just the kitchen scene starts with the the muffled sound. There's like a Christmas song playing and then it, it shifts and the sound's muffled. And just to get that from his perspective and he was so, uh, Jeremy Renner killed the acting in this scene because he really shifts from, you know, thinking that it's his wife calling. He's like, oh, you know, can you text? Like, He doesn't want to tell her. He doesn't want to get into it, whatever it is. And then realizing that it's Nathaniel, he just like totally shifts and he's, he becomes so sweet and you can tell he's so upset, but he, and, and there he is too, right? Like icing his neck with these peas after this fight that he's been in, but he's like giggling. It's so cute, right? Like I never thought that I would think Jeremy Renner's acting was cute, like, or sweet. I, that those were not words that would ever come to mind. But he really is, yeah. is, it's it's so sweet. He's kind of giggling when Nate, you know, says he's bored. And even though he can't hear him say it, right, he's getting the notes from Kate. And he's just like, oh, you know, I miss you so much. And Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I was just going to say, I think, especially in that kind of moment before Kate was helping him, seeing him struggling and yes. seeing him like wanting to talk and wanting to to hear more. But But the fact that he couldn't, that was really kind of like, Tucked at the heartstrings too. Um, Gosh, yeah. And that there's this pause when Nathaniel doesn't say anything after he says the comment about, I'll I'll try to be there for ugly sweaters or whatever it may be. And Kate's just kind of shaking his head, like shaking her head at at Clint, like, oh, he's not, you know, he's not saying anything. And and then he does. And, you know, the note from Kate says, says it's okay if you can't make it home for Christmas. It's just, it's heartbreaking. And, and, And it's heartbreaking too, because here he is and he can't, hear what he's saying but he says i'm so happy to hear your voice you know i love you i love you more thing that they do it's it's absolutely beautiful and it's one of my favorite scenes uh, definitely like my favorite clint scene this whole episode gives me my favorite clint scenes ever uh, plus the end game scene with natasha but um oh man and also the step out that door your avenger scene with wanda those those are still top scenes yes. as well yeah i think like you were saying with him saying, oh, it's okay if you can't come home for Christmas. Of course, you know, his daughter Lila is a little older and kind of gets what could be happening a little bit more. But to Mm -hmm. see Nathaniel kind of say that and just reminiscent of this childlike innocence, this kind of acceptance of not fully grasping even maybe what it means for what what Clint's going through, what his father's going through, but still that acceptance and innocence that he's like, it's okay. I still love you, still, you know, feel this way about you. It's heart wrenching. <laughs> um, as you mentioned too, this scene really solidifies a connection between Kate and Clint. He very genuinely, sincerely says thank you to her afterward, and you can see from her face when she's writing down the notes and taking in this conversation. You can see the the sadness that is being reflected back. You can see that you know, to go back to kind of our earlier theme, like she is learning so much here. She's learning about the toll that this life takes. And I think that that lesson is, is you know, just as important or, or important in a different way than the lessons that she's learning about trick arrows, you know? Yeah, I think the, the thing I was thinking about and watching this episode and kind of reflecting about like what he's been through versus what she's been through, it's, Yes, she's experienced loss and it kind of was the catalyst for her being who she is and her determination and her wanting to be, well, Hawkeye or an archer or someone to protect her family. Um, but kind of seeing that 
that comparison to Clint, who, I mean, he does decide to do the right thing. It does decide to be a hero. Um, not because of any loss that we hear about. It's more just he decides to be a hero and decides to do the right thing, but he does lose people along the way. So he sees the toll yeah. of being a hero, whereas Kate maybe is approaching it more from the sense of like being a hero could kind of prevent her losses or kind of prevent those things from happening. Mm. And maybe this is helping her to realize that those things are kind of could, could happen regardless of what she does or regardless of her best efforts. Yeah. I think that's a, a really, really interesting point. That's one of the most powerful lessons that she can learn here because she, she is so eager and she is so plucky. And one of the things that I was talking about with Mav and, and Hannah previously, and one of the things I think relates to this idea of, of teaching and learning in this episode is she, she's been through a lot. We know that. And she's also learned a lot, right? She's very accomplished in her training in fencing and archery and martial arts. But, you know, I brought this up before. There's a big difference between learning techniques in some theoretical type of way, practicing techniques in a controlled environment, learning in a controlled environment versus having to apply those techniques, apply what you've learned in a real world context. And frankly, it is in the real world context. It is when you're kind of thrown into the situation that requires those skills and techniques from you in which you're going to learn best, right? You learn best by doing and by teaching others, right? So now these are things that you know connect to, again, my own practice in, in pedagogy, but it was really cool to see that reflected in the episode. And I don't know the degree to which this is intentional or if I'm just kind of bringing my own stuff in here, but we see it both in that opening scene with Maya and how she's you know, learned in the context that she's been thrown into. And we also very much see it with Kate. She's constantly like asking him to teach her things. She says this in episode two as well, right? Oh, you can't leave. Yeah, you, the only thing you've taught me how to do is how to lose a tail, right? Like she wants to, she wants to learn um, when they are bound to the KB toy store ride a pony things or whatever those are. She's like, Wait, mm -hmm. how'd you do that? Can you tell me how you did that? Like, it'd be really nice to know how you did that. Right. And so she's constantly like looking for this information, but it's during the car chase scene where she is really, really out there life or death stakes. And he's her teacher in that moment. And he's teaching her while also driving the car. And it's incredible. Um, and they have this communication barrier because his hearing aid is not in. It's just such a fantastic scene. And I think the car chase scene really takes the place of any sort of formalized training montage. And I do like a training montage. I loved watching Sam Wilson uh, practice with the cap shield, but they could have mm -hmm. gone for a training montage scene with Clint, you know, teaching Kate how all the different arrows work. But this is so much more authentic, right? They're thrown into yeah. it. She's got to learn how to be good in a crisis and apply those things. And it, it's just beautiful. that it, it culminates in that collaboration moment where she shoots up and he he shoots the pin particle arrow and then the large arrow, you know, the arrow grows and it comes down and then she covers mm -hmm. it like it's just it, it makes me completely like geek out about teaching and learning when I see that kind of collaboration. Yeah. And I think, no, I think that's a good point. Um, especially because of what you were saying about the fact that, 
you know, learning by doing is such a focal point of this show yeah. with, with kind of echo and how she has to overcome everything that she goes through. She just kind of has to throw herself into it and kind of get better as she goes. And it's not even, it's not even to discredit Kate's capability. I think they do a really good job of balancing kind of her ability, you know, that they show in that really awesome montage in episode one. Um, Yes. All the credits she has, all the the flexibility, the strength, the um, training she's been through. And you can see that she is capable, but like you said, there's limitations to what you can do if you haven't actually gotten to practice it. So I think like a training montage could have a better place in different shows or movies where maybe that's not as much of a focal point, but it's more to say that Clint and Kate are both very capable archers, very capable fighters. It's just more the sense, of course, Clint more so than Kate because of that experience, because of that exposure right. to having to do it and to, yes, training to do it, but still really getting to actually physically do it. So I think that's a huge focal point of the show, especially as we see Echo enter and that be such a big part of her story, even comparing her to Kate, yeah. where yes, they both have this willingness and curiosity to learn and willingness and curiosity to kind of evolve and improve and grow. Yeah, definitely. There's such a through line there in both of these in both of these women's stories. So let's just like, there's there's more I think that we can unpack about the relationship between Clint and Kate and what they have in common here and the diner scene, which we haven't gotten to yet. But let's talk a little bit more about that car chase scene. Did you watch the Disney Plus, um, the Disney Plus day preview where they, where they showed part of that scene? Um, yes, yes, I did see that. So I think... As someone who did watch that, and again, I think they show it very briefly in the trailer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think very, very, very powerful that you see, like they show it at full volume in the in the preview and in the trailer that he's like, I can't hear you. You need to drive. Yeah. But you don't really feel it until the actual episode where you hear it more muffled. You kind of see what she's saying at first one second and hear it in one second, but then the next second really can't and kind of see what he's going through. So I think that's just like, I like how they kind of toy around with making that change or making that change in storytelling between what you see in the preview and what you see in the show. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, cause part of me was like, Oh, you know, maybe as much as I was really enjoying watching that clip on Disney plus day and it got me even more excited. Part of me was like, Oh man, maybe they shouldn't have, shouldn't have revealed that beforehand and just experienced it in the moment. But I think you're right that there's a totally different effect seeing it in the actual episode. One of the things I also love is the music juxtaposed to the action, like just the way that mm-hmm. the car is shot when they first get into it. And um, the music, the, the piece of music is uh, the uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra, um, Mad Russian's Christmas. And it's, you know, starts up, it's really like eerie at first and then it speeds up. And it, I just, the Christmas backdrop of this has been so fantastic. Um, the irony that, that that adds and just the entire vibe of it, you know, going through the Christmas tree farm and, while they're shooting arrows and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Love the trick arrows. Uh, had you read the Fraction comic? We talked about this, right? Um, yes. I've been meaning to finish it. I'd actually only read the first issue. That was a big thing I do is read a lot of first issues to get a lot of like exposure to different things, but I never actually finished it. So I was vaguely familiar with, with some of the comic cool. inspiration and I, I'd read about some of the other things, but I haven't read the whole thing. That's like me with the, uh, 
the Netflix Marvel shows. I've watched the first episode of like all of them, but <laughs> but I haven't finished all of them. I haven't finished most of them actually. But yeah, so I mean, the, this car chase is pretty much lifted directly out of the Fraction run, except in the way that it's not, right? Like the context of the car chase scene is so different in the, in the Fraction run, but the action and the feeling of it is something that they they stayed true to the spirit of. And it was so cool to see that adapted, adapted for the screen. And this is also the first time that we do see that <laughs> despite this communication barrier, we really are seeing the things that Clint and Kate have in common, right? How both of them at the same time mm-hmm. are kind of like, yeah, it'd be easier if we were facing the other way. <laughs> and I, I thought that that was so lovely. And then later on on the train, right? Yeah, we got to walk the dog. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It was just yeah. a really nice way of showing that they really do have this um, this kind of similarity and this kinship there. Mm-hmm. No, I really did um, like that. I think, again, as Marvel's done so many times before, really kind of showing off the the connection between a character or just kind of how they define things in a show or a movie through action, yeah. which is another um, part here. Again, in, in terms of like seeing this in a trailer versus seeing it in context, it's like, oh, you'd think, oh, it's a car chase. They've done that before. That's fine. But then when you get into the scene, see the trick arrows, which are amazing, um, you know, get to know Echo and that she's involved in it and also just get to see their communication barrier at first slowly growing to more of an understanding and more being on the same page, like you were saying. So kind of like, again, seeing like out of context where it's in context, oh, this is a car chase versus, oh, this is a car chase where he's hearing aids out, where trick arrows and everything like that. So I think that's another dimension to actually seeing it in the episode. Oh, absolutely. Like developing character and developing relationship through action too, right? As you said, what's your favorite trick arrow? Oh, there were a lot of really entertaining ones. Um, I think I enjoyed the 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 rope arrow when they went through the Christmas tree farm. Yeah, I just thought that was awesome. Again, like another way to throw Christmas in there, which I love. But yeah, I just like the application of that one more than any other one. Yeah, that was. How about you? Was that is that the same one for you? It's tough to say. I I did really enjoy that one. I. You know, I I really like the jump off the bridge with the with the grappling hook arrow, and then like swinging back mm-hmm. down on top of the uh, the the subway train, and the, oh, that's what the plunger arrow is for. Yeah. I, I kind of liked that <laughs> the whole bit. Callback. Yeah, I liked that bit there. Uh, there's another trick arrow in the in the comic that <laughs> I've been shouting him out almost every episode. But Daniel, um, a, another contributor to the show, he's been waiting for the boomerang arrow. Um, so we still haven't seen that one, hoping that that one does come into play at some point. Oh yeah. I'm hoping that in general, we're not done with trick arrows because I mean, they can make up anything they want for this show. They could take so many different things from comic inspiration, but yeah, yeah, I think this is, it's a great example. One of the things that you wouldn't, they might not necessarily think to even throw in one of the Avengers movies, but when you have a show, you can throw in, yes, all the emotions and everything, but then just really cool things like this, like trick arrows, which I hope to see a lot more of. Yeah, it's fantastic. I also loved Kate's comment about um, him needing to label them, right? Like you know, he's like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. do the putty arrow. And she's like, well, I'll do it as soon as you label these things. Cause that, that's a callback to the comic as well. 
And uh, and then within MCU, the callback to the USB arrow, which is like, what am I going to do with a USB arrow? Is there a dongle arrow that goes like, it's great. <laughs> um, but again, that yeah, kind of I guess. communication, right? Like, you know, he he knew that that would be enough to kind of just get them distracted. It's great. Yeah, I just thought about now how you kind of see like the the USB type arrow and what if too. But um, yes. yeah, I think what's interesting too in terms of seeing more trick arrows is they mentioned um, the fact that there's four more dangerous arrows than the explosive one. So I yeah. think it'd be interesting to kind of, if there's even a need for those in the show, but I think it'd be interesting to see those at some point too. So related to Clint and Kate's relationship and how it's developing here, there's also the scene between the two of them in the diner, which feels very important. What did you make of that scene? Yeah, um, I know we've t- talked about certain aspects of, again, him not thinking he's the role model, him, the, the communication and kind of her lack of experience. I think that's another thing that kind of hammers home. Well, one, I love how it opens with him not having the hearing aid in and her kind of just going <laughs> yeah. on and on, not even knowing. <laughs> that was great. But um, even from that time, I think, you know, it, it's just, I guess, maybe getting ahead of myself, but it's, it really just reinforces their bond and reinforces, I guess, their relevance to each other in a way. Um, and the, the role that they'll probably have in each other's growth and each other's, um, stories kind of in this series, I think Kate, the more obvious one of Clint is training her. She's going to get more experience. She's going to get better. She may even replace him or in some young Avengers projects that may come. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think for, for Clint himself, I think Kate being the mirror that she is to him, she'll kind of help him see, you know, help him overcome some of the traumas and overcome some of the, some of his time as the Ronin and get to see that he has made an impact. He has done a lot of good more than the bad he's done, even though there is so much bad with how he spent, you know, some yeah. the greater part of his life as a hero. Um, and I think he'll, I think she'll help him see that with how young and idealistic, how she does look up to him in that way and hopefully help show him that she's not the only one. And he really has had a bigger impact than he gives himself credit for. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is the scene where we realize, right? Like she's also got things to teach him. Right. There there are also things for, for him to learn because he has gotten to this place where he is uh, so mired in, in guilt and uh, shame over his actions as Ronan and guilt over, you know, likely Natasha's death and guilt over not being there for his family, you know, in, in the smallest of ways such as this Christmas example. Um, but then also, you know, all of the times that he wasn't there for them, you know, when he has been fighting this good fight. So I, I think it's such a, such a lovely balance in the scene. I, again, it, this episode was just killing. I mean, the action was so fantastic, but then these quieter moments with Clint and Kate, the phone call scene that we talked about, the echo moments that they, they just balance it out so nicely. And there's humor in here mm-hmm. as well. I think they just yeah. did a, such a nice job of, um, of balancing all of that. I I really liked when she she's saying to him, you know, I've dreamed of this for as long as I can remember. She talks about being inspired by her dad, right? His whole life was helping people. And when I put that suit on, I thought this is the moment I become who I'm supposed to be. And it's so interesting that the Ronin suit symbolizes something so different for her than it does for Clint, right? For Clint, it's this shame and it's this guilt. But for Kate, that was the symbol of like, 
I can do this, right? I can be this hero. Let me put this on and let me help people. No, that's that's a really good point, I think. I, I Of course, there's so much emphasis put on the dark side of the Ronin suit and what it means to Clint, but I guess I hadn't spent as much time thinking about what it could mean or what it did mean for Kate. Yes, I, I know that just being with Clint and doing everything she's doing with him, she does feel more heroic and like she's kind of, you know, working towards protecting her mother, working towards helping him and and kind of building that relationship with him. But to, to focus on the suit specifically, I think is really interesting because that's that's a low point in Clint's life. And that's kind yeah. of a new start for her, where, yeah. which I'm sure she'll kind of hold on to as we'll see her kind of like evolve in the series. And I'm sure like in the MCU in general. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a great point. When she says that's the moment I, I, you know, I become who I'm supposed to be. Clint says, I remember the day I thought the same thing, right. You know, kind of sharing that, that wisdom that has come with his experience and he says, you know, it comes with a price, this life you want to live, try and help people. It comes with a lot of sacrifices and some things you'll lose forever. And she says, well, there's also things you gain. And I really enjoyed that because that that's something I've been interested in for a long time when it comes to the Avengers. And back in, for anybody listening who hasn't heard my earlier episodes, uh, season two of the podcast, we were looking at the collective identity of the Avengers and a lot of the team up movies of the MCU. And that was one of the big questions that I asked my guests at the time was like, what do you lose being an Avenger? What are you sacrificing of your own identity to being an Avenger? And then also, what are the things that you gain? And um, she has the great comment, like trick arrows and a cool costume, right? And, and of course, you know, those, those are the surface level things here. Um, so it was a nicely done moment of levity in an otherwise very emotional scene because then that transitions into her drawing the Hawkeye outfit, the, the kind of early iteration of the Hawkeye costume from the comics and mentioning that it should be purple and with the h on the on the head and and the wings like a hawk um which was mm-hmm. which was very oh. cute <laughs> yes i love com- callbacks to like comic accurate costumes like that but also when they realize and recognize that they are ridiculous costumes <laughs> and he does say it's something that his wife would divorce him for wearing <laughs> yes. um <laughs> yes i think yeah i think just to kind of like and this goes in line with what you were saying about how it's just how Kate can kind of teach him more yeah. um, than you may have thought before this episode or, or leading up to it. Like, I think, especially with his attitude on being a hero, yes, he's lost and endured. Um, even taking it out of that context, like, I think when you've been doing something for so long, um, he does always try to do what's right. Like, it is sort of like muscle memory in a sense. He mm-hmm. does do what's right. And there are consequences, but he still does it. Like we see him still staying to help Kate, despite what it means for him and his family. Um, But with that being said, I think anyone doing something for a really long time can be disillusioned by it, can kind of like start to forget what kind of impact they have, start to forget the good and focus on the bad because it becomes more commonplace in that sense. And I think, I think um, when talking about the Avengers, this conversation could be had about what sort of new blood brings to the table like you know what ant-man brought to the original cast of avengers Mm -hmm. in endgame for example but in this case specifically what a fresh mindset a new person who's never done this what they bring they kind of show some of that i don't want to say i guess glamour isn't the best word but you know the some of the some of the better parts of what they're doing you know some of the positive impacts some of the impact that they have on others, the inspiration, the, um, the physical tangible effects of, 
saving a city, saving the world, you know, different things like that, that they might not think of because they just associate, oh, this is just (laughs) part of the job. This is fine. This is just what I do. But they may not think of those things as much as the the loss that they've endured. Yeah. And and I I definitely agree that she's playing that role of putting him back in touch with that more, I don't know if, if the right word would be idealistic or that more eager or to use a word that that she uses in episode two, sincerity, right? To put him a little bit more in touch with that, encouraging him to wear the heart on his sleeve. And, you know, of course, this is a Christmas story, right? This is something that I think we are going to see end with, I mean... I think, I hope that it's going to end with him reuniting with his family at Christmas time. And I, I think that we're going to also see more and more tenderness, I think, gentleness between him and Kate and hopefully some more gentleness in how he treats himself and how he views himself um, over mm-hmm. the next couple oh, of episodes. I, yeah, I really hope they don't. <laughs> again, I think I just again, I can't see them showing us a um, a finale where they aren't together, where he's not together with his family and there's no sort of happy ending, especially I know there's not always fully happy endings. And, you know, there's um, tougher, sometimes negative implications for some of these shows or movies. But I think especially this being a Christmas one, it it definitely better not be heartbreaking. Oh, gosh, I know. I know. <laughs> I don't think I'd be able to handle it. <laughs> I don't think any of us mm-hmm. would be able to handle it. But that's. That's interesting. That's, you know, I know we've talked so much about the significance of like the musical cues and the the, the setting, the decorations and everything, mm-hmm. but I guess I haven't kind of delved as deep into what the significance um, of it being a Christmas show means for the characters and their journeys. Like you were starting to say, of course, with Clint and, you know, did your heart shrink three sizes and yeah. comments like that, that, um you know, it'll show how he really does. For one thing, it could show how he'll grow to kind of love what he does and kind of appreciate the impact he's had more than he did in the past and not just kind of live through his family or do what they want to do, but instead kind of like find his place in the world fully, even though he's, yes, he's older. Yes, he's probably not going to be doing as much avenging as he used to. Um, still being able to find his place after, after the Avengers, after the losses, after Ronan. Yeah, I'd love to see... An ending for Clint. If episode six of Hawkeye is going to be the last that we really see of Jeremy Renner's Clint Barton in the MCU, and I I don't know if it necessarily will be. I certainly think he's somebody who could come back. But probably if he does after the show, I mean, this is just my prediction. If he does after the show, it would be in more of a cameo type of way. And, you know, I'm thinking that this is the last time we're going to see a, a story really focused on him. So I, I would love to see a send off for Clint that just includes him making his way mm-hmm. back to his family and being happy. But as you said, not feeling like he's sacrificing the good that he does for others by being with his family, because we know that that's not entirely something that satisfies him. It's why in Civil War, he comes back and he's like, oh, my kids are going to be so disappointed in me. But he, he comes back. He fights the good fight. He comes back. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a random thought to go with what you were saying um, about, yeah, I know we'll get to predictions for this show later, but I think it would be very nice to see, not necessarily even in this show, then this isn't even a prediction because I don't know how the extent to which it'll actually happen, but I think with the impact that he had on Wanda in Avengers 2, I think it would be just awesome to see them have one more scene together in some capacity. I don't know that that will happen, 
but just because of how he kind of gave her that push and kind of pushed her towards being an Avenger and that spiraled into everything else, like meeting vision and everything. Um, yeah, just all of that. I, I would, it would be nice to see something between the two of them, but I think she's a little busy right now in her storyline too. So I guess we'll, we'll see. I would absolutely love that. I mean, and to follow up on the scene that they share in Endgame, right? Like that really powerful mm-hmm. scene where he's saying, you know, I just wish I could let her know that we won talking about Natasha and, and Wanda just says, you know, she knows they both do talking about vision, right? If they had a chance to reunite over their, their shared grief and, I mean, man, he he could give her such a great tough love kind of wake up call about handling the grief um, that, you know, obviously she lashed out uh, mostly in a subconscious way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had thought about that, too, when thinking about like hoping for something like them reuniting. Um, it's so funny to think, yes, she had that kind of big impact on him that you kind of see happen in Captain America Civil War again. So just thinking about what could have been if she was there for, or if, if Clint was there for Wanda going through what she was going through. Right. I mean, that probably would have avoided a lot of the whole show probably. Yeah. Cause he has, he does have this, he's, he can be gruff, right. And he can be disillusioned, but he has such a way I think of really connecting specifically with these younger people um, Mm -hmm. and really kind of, getting these messages through to them, right? Like he, the scene with Kate at the diner is so powerful because he's really telling it like it is, right? He, it is kind of like tough love. He's like, you lose a lot of things. You make a lot of sacrifices. But then when she says, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we're in this together, he just nods. And, and, you know, he's not pushing back at her and saying, you know, there's some funny jokes, like even in this episode when, when he's like, she's nine years old and she's spoiled rotten, you know, but like he's, he's, <laughs> it's, it's adorable, the banter. Um, but he's, he's, you know, nodding at her. He's like, all right, yeah, we, we're going to be partners in this, right? He admits earlier in the episode, you really are an awesome archer. And then he's willing to engage with her when they're in the cab and they're talking about Jack and Armand and, um, you know, he's he's letting her in. He's like, oh, you know, I wonder what else is out there if that from the Avengers compound that they may have been after that they may have been after. And, you know, he's in it with her now. I think he's really mm-hmm. come to see her in this short time as someone who really can be a partner um, because I think yeah. he, he think he trusts that she understands. Right. I think from those conversations, from seeing him on the phone with his kid, from being thrown into this trial by fire with the car chase and everything else, I think he can see, OK, you know, she gets it and she's making her choices. You step out that door and you are an Avenger, you know? Mm-hmm. Now with more knowledge again about what it can include, yeah. um, I think this whole episode was a, a sort of midpoint or, or so for their relationship. And they kind of, now that they got through the car chasing and the communication and action, everything and the diner scene kind of coming to terms with each other and kind of seeing what, what the other kind of, how they view the hero and kind of coming to terms with one another's thought process. I think um, this is kind of like the segue into their really close dynamic, into their way of caring for each other more, being open with each other more and different things like that. I think to your point before, um, you know, like she was saying, Clint does not exactly wear his heart on his sleeve. Mm -hmm. His words definitely don't reflect that. He is a little more to the point. Um, he does kind of say things how they are and not even in a way where that's a bad thing. I think in, a, in another way of looking at it, like his actions kind of contradict his words, but in a good way, because yeah. while he may be a little more standoffish, um, 
not as compassionate at the, in what he says, he's, he always shows that compassion in what he does and how he stayed with her and what he did for Wanda. You know, it's yeah. like in the heat of the moment, he always tries to do what's right and make the right call. Again, there was, I always feel the need to mention there was the dark time with Ronan, but um, there were so many other times where he'd have this kind of standoffish bad attitude, but he'd still do the right thing. He'd still be there for the person. He'd still help them however yeah. he could. I think that's such a great way of, of um, articulating, you know, how Clint, what Clint's, what Clint's love language is, is like, right? And how he does communicate through his actions more so than through his words. And may, maybe it's the East Coast person in me, the person from New York, the person who has, you know, grown up with with people who um, sometimes their words can be harsh or, or, you know, people who don't necessarily express their love through their words, but are gonna maybe uh, be sarcastic or, or sass you. But while they're doing that, they are doing a hundred actions that are demonstrating how much they love. That's mm -hmm. something that seeing Clint, um, seeing that in Clint is something that definitely makes me feel, makes me feel connected to him. Yeah. I think it's funny. Love language is something I've explored more recently with just in the context of romantically or otherwise and, and friendships and people like this. So it's, it's funny to hear you say about love languages. Cause I guess you can kind of like, look at all these other heroes and adventures in that context. But I think cool. to your point too, yeah, that would be kind of a fun exercise to do, I think. Definitely. Um, but also to your point, it's like, it hasn't necessarily come up as much with him. I guess there's that degree of maybe even needing to dig deeper. Maybe the fact that with him, it's not as much on the surface as say Captain America, where it's kind of like he puts the cards on the table and yes, he does adapt and evolve. And this is coming from someone who's, you know, he's my number one favorite superhero. Yes. Um, so I d definitely don't mean that in a bad way, but I guess the whole issue with branding and everything they talk about how um, it's not as much out there. It's not as much upfront, not to the world and not to like us as viewers who, even though we've seen him in a bunch of different movies, we still don't even know. Yeah aspects of him that I feel like we're finding out in this show. Oh man, it, that's why it's been so great. I really, I really, really, really am enjoying this Hawkeye series. Before we talk a little bit more about maybe what we're expecting to see or hope to see in upcoming episodes, anything else that we may have missed from episode three? Um, hmm. That's a good question. I feel like we did really dig into a lot of scenes. I guess there's I mean, we're definitely going to find out more about Echo. I think we did cover a good amount of her yes. so far and kind of her drive. I mean, I'm. it's, again, like it's so great how they did it and how they presented her and introduced her. And the fact that you feel for her and you want to see her get a resolution, but of course you feel for Clint, who you've been with so long. Yeah. And you want to see him get a resolution and that how those will come into conflict, I think is going to be really, really, really interesting um, when she finds out when they kind of, I'm assuming there'll be some confrontation about that. Definitely mm -hmm. seems like a heavy thing to, to kind of talk about or, or face with for Clint and otherwise. I mean, maybe that sacrificial nature of his will come out where he sort of, I mean, he, he'd want to be around for his family, but he'd also want to, I think, be accountable in some way. In what way that would be, I don't know, but I'm sure once he kind of gets to know Maya a bit more that he would really feel for her as he just kind of does look at his past on Ronan as Ronan as kind of like, you know, he is ashamed of it. So yeah. seeing that held in front of him, that 
consequence of his actions, I think will be really powerful. Yeah, definitely. Like how, you know, with, with only three episodes of this left, right? Like how is Clint going to get to a place of being able to kind of make, make amends for those sins and, and, and those sins made real in, you know, this confrontation with, with Maya, with Echo, that's assuming that, you know, he was the Ronin who, who killed her father. But I, I think, I think it's safe to assume, you know, there, there was one thing just with that scene that they didn't show Clint's face. And I was just for a moment thought like, oh, well, is it possible somebody else was wearing the suit who killed her father? But I, I that's probably not going to be true because the show is about Clint and it's about Clint facing that past. And so it might be a little bit of a cop out of like, oh, no, he's not the one who killed her father. But like, well, but we know he killed he killed some people's fathers, right? He killed people, right? He killed people who were involved in bad things. But even within this one episode, we also see that her dad was involved in sketchy things, probably also because he, you know, needed money to support his kid. So I do like how it's complex. I like how it's morally gray. Um, I too am curious, how is he going to make amends in a way, um, you know, facing not to use the Christmas metaphor too much, but right, like like the ghosts of Christmas past, perhaps, right? Like, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he he buys the 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 turkey for Tiny Tim's family. Like, I don't know how it's gonna happen. Um, that 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 he can, that he can fully forgive himself for something like that, and maybe he can't. Um, but what is it? What does it mean for him to face that? So, that's something yeah, that, no, that I, we're definitely looking looking out for for these last uh, last couple episodes. No, I think it's. Uh, I mean. Yes, to your point, they do show us the Clint that's that's ashamed of his past, that's done terrible things. But with that being said, I guess it's interesting to think about because we really don't know if there was a gap between when Clint stopped wearing the suit and when it got into the people's hands at the auction. Right. So, I mean, for all we know, again, if they do something like that, hopefully they introduce it sooner rather than later, who this other person might be. Yes. But I mean... Because of how he acted as Ronan, I think it would be easy enough for someone who also took a similar approach to violence or to, took a similar approach to crime fighting that they could use that as a cover. But yep, like from what the true. show suggests, I feel like it's more likely to be him. But it would be interesting if they took a different approach too. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, I I wouldn't necessarily be mad at it either way. I I think as long as it, it continues to be good consistent storytelling that that does right by these characters and i have faith that the last three episodes are are going to be as strong as these first three if not even stronger this one of course does also end on a cliffhanger with uh jack in the corner of of the home throwing the 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 ronin sword out uh at, at clint so we're gonna see what happens with that next week i'm curious to see jack and and ronin uh oh my goodness Jack and Clint come face to face with one another. What are your thoughts on the whole Kate Bishop, Eleanor and Jack and Armand and that that side of the story? Yeah, well, I'm very interested to learn more about it. Um, I feel like it it is kind of an interesting side thing going on because it does go to show with it, you know, they're dealing with Clint's past as Ronan with with Maya, but also Kate's kind of I guess her future in a sense of establishing herself as a hero. And and for her, that starts with protecting her family. So I think central to her character, but also interesting to see where that goes. I think there's definitely a lot more to that than we've been shown so far. I don't really think it would be as simple as to say it's just Jack. I mean, 
he's definitely like done some sketchy things that I could see him being a part of it. Sure. But I don't think he's, I don't think he's the main antagonist in this case, or I don't even think he's like the main one responsible for Armand or if he was even responsible for that at all. But I think he's, there's more to him. I don't think he's a central antagonist, but I think he definitely is involved in some shady things. And I think we're also going to find out similar things about Eleanor. I mean, there's, there's kind of hints about how much Armand did not like her mm-hmm. and what she's involved in. So I think we're going to, I don't think her slate's going to be clear either. I think she's going to be also involved in some less than legitimate things to say the least. Yep. I am definitely with you on that. There's definitely something going on with Bishop security. The fact that she has this technology that is so, um, invasive, uh, this technology that mm-hmm. it allows her to track people. I definitely yeah, very reminiscent think, of winter soldier. Days. Oh yes. Yeah. I, I definitely think that there's some sketchy business that both she and Jack are involved in. And, and I'm also with you that I don't necessarily think it's like he's, a, he's clear cut a, a mustache twirling villain, even though he does have a great, a great mustache. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's just, uh, to, to what has been said on your podcast before, it would just be I think too obvious to to have it be like that. And sometimes it is that obvious because it's this, it's this whole back and forth where they think you wouldn't think it's them because it's so obvious. But (laughs) but in this case, I think there's definitely a lot more to it. Yeah. I'm with you. And you know, you mentioned earlier in the show that your favorite Marvel series is Daredevil. So I got to ask, what did you make of this reference to Maya's uncle and the, uh, this the like large build suited man that we see in part of the frame in in young Maya's karate scene. Um. Well, I'm. I feel like I've been like hoping for it so much for there to be that. Yes, <laughs> that tie into Kingpin or the tie into Daredevil to come in. I mean, I was even. I remember people were really analyzing that <laughs> No Way Home trailer thing. Yeah, they saw Daredevil's arm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. There's nothing I would love more than to see that actually come true. I just, I guess they could do whatever they want with all the multiverse stuff coming up. And I, again, would love for it to happen. I don't know if I'm, if I think it definitely will yet, but I would really, really, really love for it too. I think, um, you know, a conversation at a table for when you watch Dear Devil, if you plan on watching that full thing is kind of like, I think there are a lot of parallels and, and interesting things to talk about between kind of Matt Murdock's story and Maya's in, in that sense. They're kind of, one, they struggle with different things. Yes, one can't see and one can't hear, but um, I think their approach to things is kind of like, and how they're molded is, is somewhat similar. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that because I uh, I had mentioned that I had watched the first episode of Daredevil like ages ago, and I rewatched the first episode of Daredevil ahead of, Hawkeye, or maybe maybe the first two episodes had been out already, but I was like, you know what? That I'm gonna go. I'm gonna actually watch all of Daredevil. I still haven't gotten past the first episode, so I rewatched the first episode, <laughs> and I um, am about to to get into it more. It seems like the best time to get into Daredevil right now. Um, and whether or not these connections to it come to pass in Hawkeye and or Spider Man. Um, but it's a show that I'm very intrigued by. Very intrigued by the Matt Murdock character. And um, I'm ex- excited to see more. I've also always been a fan of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio, and I'm I'm excited to see his portrayal of Kingpin in Daredevil. And um, and we'll 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 see if if he makes his way into mm-hmm. this official part of the MCU. No, I was just gonna say, yeah, I confess I haven't really seen um, 
sort of much other work or I don't think anything else Vincent D'Onofrio has been in. I know he's, he's an established name, but I mean, his, his work as Daredevil specifically, he just, he takes that role to like new levels that I never thought he would be. You know, there's, there's different approaches to him with being more comical and being just this mastermind, but there's, there's a ton of dimensions that he adds to the character that I just wasn't expecting. Yeah, very cool. I when I was a kid, like a like as a teenager, I should say, I was very very big into Law and Order: Criminal Intent. Like I was never really into any of the other Law and Orders, but Criminal Intent was the one that was really compelling to me, and largely because of his his performance in that show and the way that he just everything about his his acting style. And um, he was also in in the Stanley Kubrick film Full Metal Jacket uh, back in the in the late eighties, but. Um, yeah, I mean, he's been in a bunch of other things as yeah. well, but uh, yeah, always been very like always found him very very compelling. So so uh, definitely yeah. looking forward to seeing him as Kingpin. Perhaps one of the only people who's sitting here and instead of saying something like I really hope that this is him in the MCU and I really hope he's in Hawkeye and Spider Man, I'm like ah, I'm really looking forward to finally watching him in Daredevil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think you definitely won't be disappointed. And again, I I mean, my official stance is that I'm very skeptical, but I would love to see. Daredevil and Kingpin especially come into the fold somehow. I don't, yeah. honestly, it's, I'm such a big fan that I don't even care how they do it. It's just like, if they make it work in some way and they, they tell a good story with it, I think that would be amazing. Yeah. And I trust that they, they definitely can. Mm-hmm. Any other burning questions or things that you are hoping to see in next week's episode of Hawkeye or the remaining part of the series? Well, I guess just in terms of predictions, things that, you know, whether they're for next episode or whether they're in general. Um, I guess just continuing to see the dynamic between Kay and Clint grow and continuing to see them kind of come to a place of acceptance about their um, particular situations and their kind of what comes next for both of them, them having this this reassurance and confidence in what comes next because of what they've gone through together. I also think, again, not sure exactly when this will come. I think with there being only three episodes left, that next episode might bring some more sort of truths and revelations in mm-hmm. terms of which act specifically um, or Eleanor. Um, maybe the fact that Hawkeye was Ronan and did kind of kill um, Maya's father will come out, whether he tells Kate, she finds out or, or Maya herself finds out yeah. and, and something along those lines. I think it'd be interesting Again, narratively, like it doesn't have to happen, but with how much I love the car chase, I think it'd be really interesting to revisit um, another situation where Clint doesn't have his hearing aid or can't yeah. hear as well, but then they have to rely on that. You know, just like being on the same page, being connected without even maybe saying much or without kind of that, or being able to overcome that barrier a lot more. Because I think as much as Maya talks about his reliance on technology, I think that the car chase scene and everything from him not having a hearing aid to getting it fixed shows how much he could overcome it if he had to. Um, Just the fact that, of course, he hasn't had to as much. And I think it shows his relationship with with Kate. It developed in that scene. And I think it could really come full circle if they revisit that later on. Yeah, that would be great to see. I'm curious. I don't know if we've talked about this before and I'm going in a different direction here. Have you seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No, I actually have not. I'm I'm vaguely familiar, but I haven't seen um I haven't seen the full series. 
there's there's an episode of Buffy. It's one of the most popular episodes. It's one of the most unique episodes of the show. It's called Hush. It's episode 10 of season four. And the it's very much commenting on this idea of communication and commenting on the fact that talking is not the same as communication. And the premise of the episode and what makes it so unique is that after the first maybe 10 minutes, the, none of the characters, there's no dialogue. The characters lose their ability to speak because of the demon that is in town this week. And so, of course, they have to communicate without vocalizing. And these aren't characters who can communicate with ASL because they don't know ASL. This is a, a completely new thing for them to not be able to speak. And um, it, it remains one of my favorite episodes of Buffy. I'm not alone in that. Buffy remains one of my favorite shows of all time. I'm, I'm not alone in that either. Um, but there was something in thinking about this episode of Hawkeye that reminded me of Hush in the way that it did utilize some of these techniques of even as an audience member, you can't always fully kind of understand what characters are trying to communicate with each other. And especially like these scenes where you, you noted it before, where Clint chooses not to have his hearing aid in when Kate is kind of just like chatting away at the diner and um, the tracksuit guys even say to her, you know, you talk so much, right? This idea of this difference between talking and communicating and uh, how one doesn't necessarily... Um, Oh, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, that <laughs> it goes back to it goes back to the whole thing you were saying about love languages, and with yes, that easily exactly. comes communication styles and the differences there. Absolutely. Um, so I, I I had to make that connection to Buffy because it's something that comes up all the time for me when I'm when I'm thinking about um, when I'm thinking about the MCU or really anything that I'm consuming. But yeah, so there were just echoes of that there for me, and uh, the title of this episode is Echoes, and uh, I just yeah, I was going to say no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended, but. A lot that this episode brought up. And uh, Danny, I am so grateful to you for joining me to talk about Hawkeye, to talk about this episode. I'm very much looking forward to continuing to talk with you in the future and collaborate with you again. Uh, before we go, is there anything else that you wanted to, to say about your thoughts on the show or anything that you want to plug to listeners? You know, I just think I've been really enjoying it so far. I think it's, again, gotten better with each, each episode. And this episode really did mark a turning point, I think, through our conversation, especially, and through what we've been shown, specifically in a lot of these scenes. It kind of, it recontextualizes mm. Clint and his story and everything else. And it, it brings it in a whole new light. So I'm just really happy, especially with the show and with my conversation with you and and being here to talk to you about it because I have I feel like I have a much deeper understanding and appreciation of Hawkeye than I did even maybe before this conversation and before um, this episode, before the series where we weren't given as much of him. So I'm very happy with that, that it is delivering on that in-depth, more like char character study of Clint and what he's been through and where he'll go next. Totally agree. And, and can't thank you enough for engaging in this conversation with me and, uh, it's always, you know, talking about teaching and learning and all of these things. Like it, it's always so wonderful to collaborate with other people and to learn through doing that and uh, to uncover new ways of of viewing um, this content that we enjoy so much. So thank you so much for having me, Dara. I really, really, really enjoy being on the show, you know, both times and especially the, this episode was awesome. So thank you for including me in this. 
If you enjoyed this conversation about episode three of Hawkeye, you can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can find on Instagram at D-E-L-T-A dot M-U-S-H, and music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp and SoundCloud. Thank you for listening and tune in next week to hear me and my guest of the week dive into the big ideas of episode four of Hawkeye.